Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is none other than Stephen Campbell, a domain investor now turned domain developer and serial entrepreneur. Today, Stephen and I contrast and compare the worlds of domain investing and domain development. And based on this, we then discuss why Stephen shifted his domain investing strategy to be less is more, focusing on quality and less on volume and quantity. Stephen then recaps his latest news in regards to his no-code domain development subscription business model and strategy. And lastly, we discuss Stephen's latest venture, tinyacquisitions.com a platform aimed at helping creators and developers to profitably divest of their websites and online apps. So with that, Steven, welcome, and thank you for making time to join us today, my man. Thank you, Alvin. Yeah, welcome back. So if you are not familiar with Stephen Campbell, uh, one is you will get familiar with him today, and two is you likely need to go back to uh, listen to a previous episode where I had Stephen on. He was talking about the domain capital challenges and how he was trying to solve his domain capital challenges by way of no code development using a subscription business model. So we'll probably touch on that just a little bit today, um, while at the same time looking at what Stephen has been doing over the last six months. And so with that, Stephen, for those listeners that may not be familiar with who you are, you know, why don't you share at a high level just a bit about who you are, your personal and professional background? Thanks, Alvin. And it's a really an honor for me to be on the show again. A little bit about myself, background, as I mentioned in the last episode, chemical process engineering background, left that, came online to kind of find myself. I really love tech. And I always wanted to, to, you know, stay at home and kind of build an, you know, my mini empire in this space. And so I got into domain names first, as I mentioned in the last episode, I sold a few domain names, learned a little bit, brokered a few deals, um, eventually worked at epic.com for a little while. And, you know, I left that and I found the no code space. And I built virtualghostwriter.com, which we spoke about last. And since then, I've been working on a new project, project, Tiny Acquisitions. And I've just been in the no-code space, building apps and these little tools with, you know, no-code products. And that's Hmm. where I am now. So when you say no code, then I'm assuming that means obvious, I guess the obvious thing, you're not writing code. So, I mean, expound upon that just a little bit. Like, what is this no code movement? So the no code movement, it's not new. I think it started a long time ago. Some persons talk about Dreamweaver and and all of that. I don't know about it. But what (laughs) I was most familiar with um, was WordPress. I really started out with WordPress. And on WordPress, you can, you know, get installed pretty quickly by going to wordpress.org or .com and, you know, build entire websites. You know, if you want to do a portfolio site, you can do that. If you want to integrate something with Google Maps, you can do that. And it's just basically installing plugins to get the site functional without having to learn code or do any code at all. And it's, I think it's a go-to now for front-end development where persons would just, you know, have certain templates. You can you get temp- templates online, um, even for WordPress, and you can build websites and also web applications without knowing how to code. So the no-code movement now since recently, it has been around for, I think, three four years um, on a wider scale, but even longer, um, is just a culmination of a lot of tools and these people with a particular personality, I'd say. So they have this characteristic that they are makers, you know, they are indie hackers, and they are drawn to these types of ways of developing sites or products or services online. And, you know, it generates income. So it's just a thing that, you know, kind of blew up. And I believe like we'll go into the future with this being the standard for software dev. You have no coding background whatsoever, but you were able to 
then cobbled together, uh, I believe you said, virtual ghostwriter. And right. so, like, walk us through what that looked like from, I guess, let's start at the, the ground floor, zero dollars to, you know, what was that what was that revenue for you in, in terms of a monthly uh, revenue? So I started with zero dollars completely. Like, I didn't even have the $29 to spare <laughs> to, to, to get that first monthly payment for the to, to, to sign up for Bubble. You know, Bubble charges a subscription per month per app. I didn't even have that $29 in my business account. And what so, is Bubble? Bubble.io. And they recently acquired Bubble.com. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they recently acquired Bubble.com. They have reached to a million Bubblers, a, a million users. And it's just a no-code platform, meaning that it's, it basically has drag and drop elements and certain workflows that are logic-based that you can set up. And it allows you to craft together full applications, even native applications online. And you can literally launch it on your own domain or on their subdomain and integrate a host of services, payment services via Stripe, PayPal. There's a host of plugins that allow you to do whatever you want on it. There, literally, there's no thinking or imagination of what you can develop on Bubble. So you just have to have really, it's not that you need to know the nitty gritty details right. of, of coding as much as it really is. You just need the high level, I guess the visionary uh, of being able to put building blocks, simple blocks together of, Egg, oh, exactly. I want to log in. Oh, I want payment. Oh, I want to uh, offer this, this service. So it's like three different building blocks and they help you then to connect them. De definitely definitely i would say it's good to have like a basic understanding i did it in school so i know that you know if then else that just that basic if if this happens then this then else you know and so so once you get that that understanding then the if else statement if you will or logic then from there i guess it's just like you said i guess dragging dropping exactly the design here's the thing Persons have reached out to me for virtual ghostwriter and say, hey, I like the design. Well, other persons have said, hey, I hate the design. <laughs> you know, but other persons <laughs> have loved the design. And they're like, do you have a design background? I'm like, no. This is, this is like me getting started with Bubble and just doing trial and error and, you know, getting the thing to be responsive on mobile. And I don't know anything about design is just having the time to put it together. So that drag and drop thing puts the design together as well as the backend or the, the workflow side of things together in uh, one app. And so then how long did it take you to build out, I guess, the virtual ghostwriter? And then how long did it take you to get to uh, start making money? So I started with the idea in sometime in October, the last part of October. And I launched it fully at the end of October, right? The first functional thing was at the end of October. By November end, you know, uh, you know, we're having signups. So I'd say maybe, a f maybe 24 hours to get the first function working. Like I integrated OpenAI's GPT-3 just to get that working. It took me like one night or one or two nights. And then the full app, was like a week or two. And then I put it out there and just tweaked from there. What, whenever I got a feedback, I would just tweak. Here's a funny story. When I launched and the payment was integrated, I had some incorrect things set up. So somebody reached out to me. Um, I think this guy was from Russia. He was saying, hey, I'm trying to pay for the app, but I'm not able to. <laughs> and I had to just fix it in the moment and just talk to him back and forth. And that's how I got it to work because I didn't know anything really about, you know, the rules are, are, and so on. And I kind of grew from there. So it, it was a working progress, you know, basically. <laughs> that is awesome. And, and so from that standpoint of it being a work in progress, like when did you know that you had something? Because obviously, I mean, you, you spoke there of speaking with uh, the customer there that lived in Russia. So 
from that point, like you had the one customer, but when did things actually turn the corner for you that you were like, yeah, I think I'm on to something? Yeah, so that first customer was the first $9.99. I was over the moon. I was super <laughs> excited. And then I went and I posted on Reddit. And, you know, I posted in the GPT-3 channel. And, you know, the, the, the host of that channel was saying, hey, this is a pretty cool app. And comments started to, you know, move in on, on Reddit. And I was saying, hey, th this seems to be significant. I don't know if anybody has done this without code. So I started mentioning that this is done without code. And it, it, it's, it was like it blew right out of the water. I was like, this is very significant. And I started seeing signups. And then I, I was like, hey, why not launch on Product Hunt? And that's where it, it um, went from. I went from like zero to $1,000 MRR in a very short period of time. Like within that one month, I went to like 1,000 MRR. And then, you know, I realized that persons were kind of just testing out the waters and so on. So, <laughs> you know, churn came about and, you know, I, I gradually lost customers, gained new customers. But there was this standard set of customers that stayed on. We maintained $300 MRR for quite some time. And these customers were the ones who really wanted the app and were using the app. You know, new customers came on and we went. Why do you think those customers came and went? Or is it something that you, I guess, d uncovered? Or, you, you know, do you know why they came and went? Or what, what kind of what's that story there? I think just just listening to other makers on podcasts and seeing the trends on Twitter, persons are inquisitive, right? And mm. they'll appear that first month subscription to find out what the app is about. And, and, and I saw somebody comment on Twitter. They were like, is it normal for someone to pay for a subscription and then cancel it five minutes later? That is normal. Like, I've seen that. Like, maybe 70% of the newcomers, they, they get the subscription and they cancel it right away because they don't want to forget for the second month and then have it rolling over. They, they really just want to see what the app is about. Right. And I think that's generally a trend for like these indie, these indie um, apps, things built by creators. Persons are inquisitive. So they just come and leave. You basically shot out of the gate then going from zero to roughly a thousand dollars a month recurring revenue, which then kind of backed down once the new war off for some of for some of the customers there, yeah. but you got down to a core base of customers then that puts you somewhere between that $300, $400 monthly recurring revenue. Yeah, definitely. And then toward the last part now, like since maybe a month ago or two months ago, um, that number came down to 200. So I was generally, you know, tweeting, you know, posting virtual ghostwriter, and I kind of shifted my approach. So I stopped talking about virtual ghostwriter. I went into experiment mode and I was saying, you know, how can I maximize on SEO so that I could stop talking about virtual ghostwriter with the aim of getting new customers and just have them sign up organically, you know, and I, I started looking into different streams and that number came down to 200. And the, previous, the last number I saw was 179. So I just stopped talking about it, stopped promoting it. I, I didn't pay for any ads or anything. And customers would, I would get like maybe two subscribers per week. You know, hmm. and they, it, I would just get organically um, from Reddit, Google, from Product Hunt. And I was just, just, just trying to see, you know, what was happening. Just trying to study the, 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 um, the source from where these customers were coming from. But overall, toward the end, I think we did a total revenue of, we did close to 2,500 in total. And we also did some other GPT-3 products that the Gumroad course, I did two Gumroad courses. So the total revenue was like 7,500 with the Gumroad courses. So Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I, so the app itself was doing 25 and the Gumroad courses total like 5K 
So we did like seven five in total. And then something else happened. You know, we'll get into that. <laughs> Interesting. So then the Gumroad courses, though. So I guess it remind me there, was that you, I guess, teaching folks how to use the tools in which you use to build Virtual Ghostwriter? Exactly. So this is my statement. I don't know if it's out there, but no one else integrated GPT-3 with Bubble at that time. That's what I understand. I, I haven't seen it done anywhere, and I was basically pioneering that. But I didn't want, I, I knew eventually that persons would figure it out because, <laughs> you know, it, persons would figure it out. But just to expedite that process, to put it out there, I, I did a course and, you know, to make some money at the time because it was fresh knowledge. I was getting a lot of questions. How on God's earth did you do this without code? And so I did a course, you know, I was selling it. I started at like, $30 for the first persons that came in and raised to 60 and then ended up at a hundred, which was like the optimum price where, you know, I did a survey and asked, you know, how much is this worth? And I, I decided to, to leave it at a hundred based on the responses. And I was selling it for that. And we would get, you know, like persons coming in to understand from like YouTube on Twitter itself, uh, when they would come on my profile and persons would tell persons about it. And while I was on, like on, on deck, persons would come and ask for that course as well. So I was basically teaching persons how to integrate OpenAI's GPT-3 with the no-code tool bubble. That is amazing. So then, I mean, here it is. You were trying to solve your domain capital challenge. You, and you fool around and you come up with the product. And then in the course of coming up with the product, now the pupil has become the the teacher <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were able to turn that into uh profitable revenue which then i guess leads you from virtual ghostwriter now how did you come up with with uh your newest and latest project tiny tinyacquisitions.com as you know basically coming from domaining i'm basically coming from domaining and domaining gives the domain a feeling that at any moment in time, a domain is going to sell and you're going to make this, you know, huge, you're going to get this huge amount of, of funds flowing in to keep the business going. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always work like that. But I had that feeling of wanting to always liquidate a digital asset. You know, how can I get a, a sizable portion of funds using knowledge that I had before. In the domain space, it's, it would be like your knowledge of what is trending. So you'd get a, a domain regis registered early. Or it would be strategically buying a high-value domain name and holding it for some time. And then you'll be able to liquidate that. But as I was moving more into no-code dev, I was spending a lot of hours on projects and then eventually, you know, I became disinterested in the idea or the revenue wasn't enough to keep me excited or I just got bored. Because I had a lot of projects, didn't want to destroy them and I tried selling them on, you know, Twitter and nothing would happen. You know, I, I'm liquidating this project. Nothing would happen. I realized that there's a mindset behind the creator. The creator starts a project. They actually register a domain. It's not, it's, it's not that trait of registering a domain and holding 200, 400, 600 domains. It's not just for domainers. Like creators have that tendency. Being in that space, they have that tendency as well. To get an idea, become excited, register that domain, start the project, launch it, and then they want to give up on it. And they become <laughs> bored. I was like, these guys need to have a way to liquidate those small projects. It's, it's not making $100,000. It's not even making $5,000. But maybe someone else who wants to do a startup will find value there and they could have like a marketplace where they could sell these projects. Now, we have marketplaces out there. You have Flipper, you have Empire Flippers, you have Microacquire, but there's a common theme with them is that they target 
it seems to be the higher band of creators or let's say business owners who have these digital projects or online projects. They are trying to sell projects for 50K, 100K, a million dollars. But the little guy, the creator who invested maybe $50 and has reached to maybe $20 monthly recurring revenue has no way to liquidate that project. So I wanted to get in a way, which is tiny acquisitions, to allow sellers to come in. They will be getting a deal less than 5K and the sellers will get this 5K amount, which would be significant. And I would be happy with 5K for a project that I've just invested $50. So the, I, it, it was like that. It just came to me and I was like, yeah, I should, I should pursue this and see where it goes. That is an interesting concept. $50,000 or more, most of that stuff's already taken care of. There are sites that are out there doing it. People put them on Flippa, uh, whatever. And most of the time, you know, those are going to be the head turners. But at least where you're starting at is basically anywhere from zero up to probably that 50K. And I probably even bring it down a little bit. In most cases, projects are probably going to be what, less than $10,000, I would assume. So, so the limit for posting a project on tiny acquisitions is 5k. You can you can Ah, okay. Right. So you can post a project that you are selling for more than 5k. If a deal happens and someone offers you more than 5k in the in the in the chat, that's fine. I mean, that's that's okay, but you can't post a price more than 5k on tiny acquisitions. Gotcha. And that's 5 5k total price. 5k total price right now are you also i guess are they able to put in what uh the monthly revenue monthly recurring revenue is for for the project or overall revenue right so we have a description section where that is possible we're probably moving to getting that automated where it could connect like your stripe income you know and have that verified we're looking into that no but at the moment if you're not generating revenue, it's fine. You don't have to put anything. If you're generating revenue, that's fine as well. You can put it in the description section. So we encourage you know, sellers to include that information in the description. It would get them more clicks. Then let me ask you this. Where did the name Tiny Acquisitions come from? Okay, so you know, seeing like this, this trend Tiny, I, I, I'm in the maker space, no code space. And this guy, Mark Bowley, did Tiny Design Lessons. I was like, that's a cool name, Tiny Design Lessons. And I, I started seeing a lot of persons using Tiny. So I was like, hey, that, that's cool. And Tiny for me is a little bit smaller than small, right? Right. <laughs> or it, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit, it, it goes to the very lowest, you know, unit that's what i was thinking about and the acquisitions portion i didn't want to um narrow down to no code or a particular type of app initially i was thinking of doing bubble apps you know buying and selling bubble apps because i was very familiar with bubble apps but i was saying hey maybe someone just wants to sell a spreadsheet you know an automated spreadsheet that's not Bubble. Maybe someone wants to sell maybe a WordPress site. That's not Bubble. So I kind of expanded to include both buyer and seller in the name. And I found that Tiny was an appropriate term because it went, it went to that small amount. And I realized that there's a difference in how I understand money than maybe someone in the US. I, I live in a country where our local dollars is worth so much less than the US dollar. So 5K for me might be, you know, that's okay. But maybe someone in the US, that's like, I don't know, you can tell me that's like nothing. I don't know. Right, right. It's, it's a small amount. It's just right. like a small amount. Yeah, it's something. It, it may not be necessarily anything to write home about, but that's all relative based upon, you know, your background and where you come from. Because let, let's say if you're clearing $10,000 a month, well, to, you know, to receive 5K, you're kind of, you know, you just shrug your shoulders. You may not even bat an eye at it. Exactly. But if you're not making anything and 5,000 shows up, well, that's life changing for you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and being in a country 
where the socioeconomics is really poor, that can be very significant. It could be life-changing. Right. It could, it could be life-changing. So I wanted to capture both the creator and the buyer. So the buyers would be getting a deal with this tiny acquisition and the creator would be, you know, selling their project for that, is selling their tiny project for uh, maybe a significant amount for them based on where you're coming from. Right. And, you know, probably to add to that, Stephen, is the fact that there are many folks who they just have a knack and an ability to get things started, but they may not have the interest uh, to stay the course, if you will, in terms of just a growth overall growth strategy to take something from scratch and grow it into something of exponential value and size. So you may have somebody that's listening out here and saying, you know what, I know that I can get this thing started, but I don't necessarily want to be the person 12 months, 18 months, you know, 24, 36 months later, still working on the same project. And so tiny, it sounds like tiny acquisitions would be the perfect venue or platform for such a person to be able to spin up, you know, different projects and then pass them off. It's exactly that. So then let me ask you this then. So are you still domain investing these days or it seems like you've more of a, you've become more of a domain developer? (laughs) You know, my views have changed. (laughs) (laughs) I follow guys like Drew Wash and Peter Askew. I'm I'm really a big fan of those guys. They, they, They move more on the development side of domains. And I feel like domain names are actually meant for development. Like you're losing like value just sitting waiting for a buyer to come, come along. Although that is an investment strategy, if you think about it, based on the value of the name. But you could be extracting value, even more value than having it sit there. During that period, you're waiting to get it sold. You know, so I, I look at domaining more now from, yeah, an investment side of things rather than like an active stream of income that I'm pursuing daily. So mm-hmm. I've not, I've not, you know, invested a lot of time these days in looking up names and so on. So I do register a few names based on trends and I renew the names that I think are valuable and I drop those that I think, you know, are not worth keeping. So that's, that's just sums up domaining right now for me. Which is a total mind shift because like you said, in most cases with domain investors, especially those that are looking to do quick flips, like it's just a different mindset in terms of how you see value, how you extract value versus a domain developer, which oftentimes I do believe that you could be looking at the same set of domains, but often is the case you're not like the domain developer is really looking more of around the brands like a virtual ghostwriter.com or a tiny acquisitions.com. And you're looking more for that, that uh, solid brand that will allow you to, to build uh, yet at the same time, not, um, you know, build yourself into a box, if you will. It's, it's that you're looking for that brand that's going to allow you the greatest reach and the greatest visibility. I mean, would that be a correct statement? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, if I got tinyacquisitions.com and sat on it, it's it's likely that I'd probably have to wait maybe three to five years. It's I let me just say this. Virg, I don't think I'd be able to sell virtualghostwriter.com in the first year. If I just got the domain name and sat on it. It's just that kind of thing. And then what what I realized as well is that the volume of domains that you'll have to hold being a person that doesn't have like a huge capital to get a premium one word or a premium .io or .co or whatever it is, you have to have a volume of names to get that that sell-through rate, that that, that 1% or 1.7% sell-through rate for it to be any significant income for the year. And that's just a huge challenge for a person that doesn't have the capital. And it's just the truth. It's right. really, it's just the truth. 
Right. So let's juxtapose that then, because because you mentioned something there that I think is very critical in terms of virtualghostwriter.com. So if you had held that and not done any development and let's say, I mean, what would you have likely put a buy it now price on that on that given domain if you were to you know post it to a Dan page or uh, using Epic? Like what would your price have probably been for that? Yeah, a three word freeword.com uh virtual ghostwriter maybe a buy it now would be the most 1500 gotcha if i wanted a if i wanted a, a sale the most i'd put on that is 1500 right and so you list that at 1500 and now likely is the case people do get lucky and sell it within a year and so it's kind of like let's go ahead and say that put that out there we'll take that off the table (laughs) and now we say okay well if the average hold time is anywhere from 24 months to 36 months then obviously you're gonna have to renew that twice which is no big deal hey it's probably anywhere between eight to ten dollars per renewal but if you juxtapose it to what you did in terms of development and reaching that monthly recurring revenue, well, how many months did it take you to reach that $1,500 uh, mark? That, that was like two and a half months, three months. Wow. You know, that, and, and, and I still had the domain name. I mean, once I saw that it was getting that traction, and persons were talking about virtual ghostwriter. It, it, it's like persons knew the name and it had that value. I renewed it for four years. I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep this domain name. And I was able to renew it. So I still retain the asset and I've made that money in three months. And, yeah. and hence the reason you shifted from being a domain investor to a domain developer. Exactly. I can extract value by putting something on the name and still retaining the asset, you know? It's it's just it just makes sense. Well, it makes dollars and cents. <laughs> <laughs> makes dollars and cents. And so with that, like what what is your vision then for virtualghostwriter.com as you look towards the, the future? Uh, here's the thing. I'm gonna drop this on Uh-oh. your podcast. So virtualghostwriter.com has been acquired by I, I can't say who but i'll say that it's a digital marketing agency wow i didn't even know it was for sale but well i guess everything has a price <laughs> okay I, I won't tell the story yet but it's it's a very exciting story and i'll tell it i'll tell it soon it's very very exciting let's just say that tinyacquisitions.com opened the door for that sale Oh really? How so? I can't. I can't give you the details <laughs> yet. I almost had him. I almost <laughs> had him. I can't give you the details yet, but but tiny. Well, I guess. I guess started. at a high. I guess at a high level, though. Like, how did? How, or why do you believe tiny acquisitions like opened that door without like getting into the details? It it kind of brought in the the right set of eyes. Gotcha. Now, if I posted that on Flipper right? Or another platform, which I did. I did. And I, I got so many inquiries on these other platforms, but it, they, they were just not the right set of eyes. Right. You know, it, it, I think Tiny Acquisitions has a unique proposition that brings the right set of eyes. That, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. No, and and I think that that makes sense, but that I also look at and point to the fact of how one, you know, pointed to the other, which you would have, I probably would have said, hey, those two probably don't have anything to do with one another, especially, you know, knowing that there is a monthly recurring revenue for virtualghostwriter.com, I'm right. thinking, oh, well, Steven's going to hold on to this, right. not realizing or not really even making the connection of the tiny acquisitions platform. Uh, the virtual uh, ghostwriter.com itself as a product actually meets the criteria of tiny acquisition. Exactly. And so um, I never would have put two exactly. and two together. Hey, you're, 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 you're right. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. 
Yeah, see, I because I, I that would have totally escaped me um, until you just started talking about it, and I had that that light bulb moment of like, oh wow, that was virtualghostwriter.com, if you will, was more of like an experiment to test out tiny acquisitions to see if it would, you know, or could deliver um, in such a way of of being able to to sell such a a uh, a small yet lucrative project. Right. You're going on the path, Alvin. You're going on the path. But you're not that is interesting. It. So then what does that mean for you? So now you have, you've successfully sold virtualghostwriter.com. You right. now have tinyacquisitions.com. Like for someone that, you know, you're very inquisitive, you definitely daring in terms of just not even, in terms of just not even, you know, saying, okay, well, most people would have some sort of caution of yeah. oh man i don't know how to code i probably shouldn't be doing this versus you like i said you just have this inquisitive nature about yourself mm-hmm. of being able to jump in figure it out make something happen so it, looking forward like what does this mean for you do you start cranking out more projects and then likely start using tiny acquisitions to to promote those or you know what what's what's on the on the uh, horizon for you so what I'm realizing about tiny acquisitions is that it's different. It's, it's different from anything I've made before. It's, it's so much more superior. So what I've been doing is posting some of my older projects on tiny acquisitions. And I've been getting offers on them. You know, I've been in, talking to potential buyers and they're like, oh, are you representing the... the, the the seller, I'm like, because, because I see that you're the owner of Tiny Acquisition, I'm like, no, these are my old projects. You know, so I'm still experimenting with what that level of, you know, that buyer level that wants projects of 5K, what's happening in their mind? I'm trying to get into their head. You know, what, what are they thinking about? And then how can I improve Tiny Acquisitions to meet that? You know? So everything is an experiment for me. Hmm. So I'm still looking into tiny acquisitions to see what it should be. So I've launched a thing and it's generating a lot of noise in the space, but it's still not what it's supposed to be. And I don't want to rush to copy what others are doing because it has a unique selling point that persons are attracted to. Right. I don't want to just be careless and make it into something that it shouldn't. So I'm still studying what it should be. Gotcha. So in terms of tiny acquisition, so one, I think it's likely leading you to revenue because you're able to position and bring exposure and visibility to your existing project. So that's one way you get revenue. Yeah. But then in and of itself, like how does tinyacquisitions.com actually make revenue? Is it charging a percentage of successful transactions or, or how does how does that work? All right, so right now we haven't launched the feature that allows it to be monetized. So what we would do is charge, you know, a percentage of the sale, right? So the sale would happen through tiny acquisitions and would charge the seller a percentage, a very small percentage. But since we launched, we're just allowing sellers to come on, put their projects, and they can get offers if they want to go off the platform and talk via email, that's fine, right? On the other hand, on the buyer side, once we have enough projects and the quality is there, we'll have like uh, a subscription for certain qualified buyers to come on and get access to the projects, right? So that's how it will be monetized and some other things that we are looking at. For right now, we're just trying to add value upfront and get tiny acquisitions tiny acquisitions established as a place where you can sell your creator-made projects for less than 5K. So anybody that's out there that you have this idea, you have this thought or this project that you're working on and you're just looking to say, okay, hey, I know this is an idea that could likely go well beyond 5,000. I just don't have the time, the energy, the effort or whatever uh, to do so. But 
you know, hey, I want to sell it for thirty five hundred, then tinyacquisitions.com is the perfect uh, platform for you. Then I assume. definitely, definitely. Man, how many projects do you have that you're working on? It's just tiny acquisitions. So I, I never, I never kill my projects. So once I've set up the domain and the hosting and I've done some work, I keep them up because opportunities can still come through. I have email, uh, opt-in setup, and you know, the projects are live, but I don't, I, I don't have to work on them actively. You know, go in and renew some things, you know, update some things, but not actively. Tiny acquisitions is my 100% focus right now. You know, you mentioned earlier, like Peter Askew, which he he has VidaliaOnions.com. He has BirthdayParties.com. And, and most of, uh, well, the Vidalia Onions, I mean, that's just a, an interesting case study in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, but it's basically an onion business where he's partnered with local onion farmers there. But he's basically offering the, the tech, if you will, yeah. um, and a little bit of the business to what they do. Yeah. And then birthdayparties.com is is just something because of his daughter uh, growing up and having different birthday parties and it, them having to go research venues in the local area. And so he's grown that into a business. So like are is that your goal to to hopefully wound up wind up striking some sort of project just like he did in, in regards to birthdayparties.com and vidaliaonions.com? Ex- definitely. Definitely. So my, my business model or my, the holding company that I set up is an overarching company. It's called the Campbell's Investments Limited. And we hold digital assets. So whether it is domain names, whether it is websites, whether it is applications, we hold digital assets. And in my mind, whichever one... <laughs> maybe two or three becomes really well-established, I give that my focus and my time. You know, so Vasayo, Daniel Vasayo says, puts it like this, a portfolio of small bets. You know, so I have a portfolio of digital assets that I've invested in, and I hope that they will turn over, basically. Yeah. Makes sense. That being said, now... I guess when I think through uh, just where you're at in life, because and it's one thing that that I, I definitely want to touch on just to see here is in terms of the projects. Now, you mentioned something earlier in the segment of mm-hmm. not necessarily being in the U.S., and so how does that impact your ability? Because if you compare both of us, if you compare my cost or standard of living to yours, I, I'm just assuming now that it's probably drastically different. Um, yeah. One being that I live in, in, in the United States, but then not only that, I live in probably one of the fastest growing cities known to man right now, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so things are just skyrocketing um, all across the board from living expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And so in terms of where you're at, like how does coming up with these sorts of projects, like how has that changed your, your standard of living? Um, has it, has it been a positive, negative? How has it, have you been impacted? It has improved my standard of living exponentially, but not in a material sense. Hmm. So materially, I I'm at the same point. I haven't changed anything. In fact, I I want it to remain this way because I have a certain view of life that material possessions will come and go, but experiences will, you know, live on. You'll have memories. And so what I'm trying to invest in is experiences. So as you mentioned, standard living between us, you know, in the US, and I'm living in Jamaica, um, generating income in US dollars is very good for me, right? That, that's, that's very good. That's where I, I want to be, right? But I haven't changed my environment materially. It's the same. And what I hope to do is to make the right decisions so that later on in life, I'll have a little bit more wiggle room because the number one thing that holds young people back 
from doing the things that they would want to do is debt. And I have concluded that it's, it's being in debt when you have just started out. Mm. So you have to invest this 10-year, 15-year period to get out of debt and then hopefully start living. And in my experience, within that 10, 15 years, kids come, come along and you kind of get stuck, right? In my, in my situation, in where I live. So I am actually wanting to invest in such a way that I don't have to invest that 10, 15 years getting out of debt. I can invest five years getting out of debt. And then I change my material environment. So I'll stay in the same state until my debt is zero. And then I move to the next step. And then the, the world basically opens up because I have a lot of runway to do projects. I don't have to take on this employment. I don't have to do this to get the bills paid because I've invested well. That makes perfect sense. And I think that that's a great uh, point that you make there is that anybody that is listening to this and you find yourself in a place whereby, you know, your your standard of living is little to none. This is like a great opportunity. To, it seems like domain development could be that thing, especially if you're living outside of the U.S. and yeah, you exactly. are primarily focused on targeting U.S. customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've heard of folks that, you know, ultimately they're like, hey, I only need, you know, 500 U.S. dollars to make it in, in a given month within their country. <laughs> and well, yet, you know, you start talking about like virtual ghostwriter that was, you know, at one point clearing $1,000 of revenue per month. But even, you know, once those customers dropped off and it hit that $250 to $300, that, I mean, that's a decent living outside of the U.S., depending on what country you're in. If if you don't have debt, if you right. don't have a Correct. lot of bills. So, so if if I have a lot of bills, and I'm still spending three months to build that project to get to that revenue, which is just maybe $300 to $400 MRR, it still can be tough, right? So with this kind of lifestyle where you're doing the dev, it's unpredictable. Hmm. So I could have a big win this month, and then six months later, there's nothing happening because of how unpredictably it could be you you have churn think different things changing so i think an approach would be the best approach and this is just my opinion is to not have a lot of overheads right you have that flexibility to what to to have whatever is in your hand to basically you know have a runway you can move with it you can invest with it you can you know look at this thing and acquire it and move forward and not have to worry about this huge debt over your head. That is excellent and excellent advice because one of the things that I think about in terms of what you just said in regards of just debt is that there is a, or or rather I kind of get the vision of there is this uh, uh, timer um, and that's ticking away from the yeah. very moment that you begin developing a product yeah. that at some point, I mean, just as everything begins, things will end. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't have the the ability to create longevity with a product, yeah. then you on, you're on borrowed time, um, yeah. essentially. And so it's it's kind of and. and it makes me kind of think about even is that something that you notice with virtual ghostwriter um, of just saying, hey, is that one of the reasons that you led into to selling that of really looking and saying, because why would man Steven sell virtual ghostwriter.com when it has nothing but upside? So, like, what did you see that made you say, okay, I think it's time to actually go ahead and, and let this baby be somebody else's baby so they can take it to that next level? You see, I, I try not to watch people. I, <laughs> I see a lot of persons doing a lot of things online and I try not to put myself in their position and just focus on my reality. I know my situation and I know what I need to do. So what another person might be doing for fun, they, they have, they're doing indie hacking for fun. And if two years pass and they make zero, 
oh, oh, well, you know, I'm, I have this nest egg. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to watch somebody else. I know my situation. And my situation calls for being smart. So if a door of opportunity opens today and I don't jump through it, it might never come again. And that for me comes through acquisition. So the, the creator that I am and my background causes me to liquidate projects that make sense for, for me to liquidate at that time to the right buyer so that person can take it to the next level. I cannot, one person cannot take something to the very top. Eventually, you're going to start outsourcing, you know, labor, maintenance, customer support. Once it starts to scale, you will need people. It, it, it's non-negotiable. So I know my situation and I try to jump through the door of opportunity when it presents itself. And that for me is through acquisition sometimes. So really, then your goal really is not to necessarily build out a company to build out uh, a company that has high overhead or a lot of involvement really from, um, you know, multiple teams of people. That's that's not where I started out, Alvin. I, I, I don't have that in my mind. I didn't have being a CEO going into the office on the top floor, looking out at the sea and um, being there for 12 hours, managing 100 people, I don't have that in my mind. I actually don't. I want to be at home, you know, just creating and building and having investments that can support my lifestyle. If I need to be offline for three months, I can. You understand? But I, I'm not hard and fast on it because tiny acquisitions kind of changed my mind as well. I'm seeing another aspect of what I do based on what based on the door that tiny acquisitions has opened. And it, it it's changing me, but I'm not all the way there yet. I don't see myself as a CEO. I see myself more of as an inventor or a creator. Gosh, so yeah. So yeah, I mean you're you're walking it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because it's a fine line between the the Peter Askews, the Drew Washes, and then uh, the Stephen Campbells. It's like there is yeah. this fine line, and you got to find out which works best for you. And what's interesting about this little move that you've made from virtual ghostwriter to uh, tiny acquisitions is that you created a product. And which went after, you know, I'd say B to C customers. So you were a business that went after uh, consumers. Yeah. Now with tiny acquisitions, it, that's really a B to B model. Yes, it is. And so it, there's where the it should be more uh, a bit more stability in taking that route with a B to B business. And I'll but, say, and I'll say this, Alvin. As I said, I'm not hard and fast, although I don't see myself in that light, like that CEO kind of corporate thing. But I never say never because you never know what could happen, right? And Tiny Acquisition is opening my mind to a higher level of professionalism and offering a service that is robust and, you know, the boring stuff, you know. The boring stuff that people need, legal, uh, you know, accounting, you know, getting business set up the right way. I'm seeing a lot of value in that. And I'm not saying I won't ever go down that road. Right. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm going to leave the gate wide open and, yeah, exactly. and we'll, we'll see where, uh, where things take us. Cause like I said, and congrats on the virtual ghostwriter.com. Cause six months ago, you know, I would have been like, man, if somebody would have asked me, Hey, six months from now, Stephen Campbell's going to sell this thing. Um, and it's going to do him well. I would have been like, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. <laughs> He's going to hold on to this for quite some time. And here it is six months later. And not only have you sold it, but you've, I mean, you've gone in a whole different uh, direction, which is amazing, man, which is amazing. And yeah. so congrats, man. And good for you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alvin. 
Yeah, good for you. And so wrapping up, man, like what would be your advice to someone like who hears this and they're like, man, you know, I'm on this fence about domain investing and possibly domain development, especially if they have not had like any domain investing sales as of yet. And they're thinking about making the jump based on what they've heard. Like what would be your advice to them of where should they start either trying to make this transition from domain investing into domain development? I would say you have to know yourself. Life can be treated like a game. Some people, you know, think about life as being something where something lucky can happen. Like you make a, a gamble and a bet and you get lucky. I, I wouldn't encourage that type of mindset. You have to be strategic and literally work towards exactly what you are doing and know what you're about. If it's domain investing, you have to go fully investing a ton of cash into getting the right names and having the right volume of names and having the right strategy and even the mindset when a buyer comes along. You can say the wrong thing and lose a huge deal because you have the wrong mindset. Um, if it's domain development, you have to know what you want from that as well. You could go to college, you know, get a degree in ComSci. You could go the maker route and try to do a, do a startup or a small SaaS. But there is a challenge either way. I think you have to make a decision on what you want to do. And I think I have decided that domain investment is domain investment. It's an investment. It's not my day job right? It's not, it's not what I am going to be actively pursuing um, because, yeah, it's, it's good. You are smart when you can flip a name, but I think I have a lot more skills and talents that needs to be utilized as well. So I have chosen domain development as a thing that I pursue with all of my time and domain investment as like that you know, investment vehicle. That's hmm. how I would put it. That is intriguing, my man. Intriguing. Yeah. But but definitely one that information that everybody should consider. Uh, because like you said, you, you definitely have to know yourself and, and you hit that W word, man. The most important one, you gotta work it. Yeah. You gotta work it. Yeah. Always, always. I mean, hundreds of hours. Hundreds. <laughs> it's it's not luck. It's not luck. I am a man of faith and I pray a lot and I, you know, read the scriptures and I talk to God. At the same time, I have to work hard without some, sometimes without any sight of it working out, without any, you know, glimmer of this thing working. I have to work and, you know, put in the energy because that's necessary as well. That makes yeah. total sense. So if anybody that's out there listening to this and they say, hey, I want to get in contact with the myth, the man, the living legend himself, Stephen Campbell, like how would they do so? Can contact me. Let me just put this email, Stephen at tinyacquisitions.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You Count can't get it me, up. You can't get me there. <laughs> Count it up. That is awesome. So Stephen at tinyacquisitions.com. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, we're out of time. So, Stephen, again, thank you for joining us today. And, man, thank you for sharing your entrepreneurial journey. I can't actually wait to hear this story about how it all went down with uh, virtualghostwriter.com. Yeah. Maybe, maybe six months from now. Let's see, Alvin. We were saying this <laughs> the last time. Let's see. Hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, and, you know, go from there. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Yep. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now. 